It's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. I'm Becky Bruce. I spent a year working on Hope in Darkness, which now has more than 2 million downloads. Find it on kslpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. Here. Resistance is futile. This indeed you are is Fan Effect. Welcome everyone to the Fan Effect Podcast. I'm your host, Kellyanne Halverson. Andy is out today, which is surprising because we are talking about his absolute favorite subject, which is Star Wars. Now you guys know I'm a newbie. But I'm loving learning more and more about this wonderful universe. And what's so great is I live in the state of Utah, where we are the nerdiest state. We have so many fandoms. We have so many clubs. We have so many people supporting it. And today in this podcast, I have actually found several groups, fans, clubs, whatever you want to call them, that will help you celebrate Star Wars Day, which is just around the corner. Because May the 4th be with you is just too much fun not to be Star Wars Day. Because we all love puns. Right now, everyone is going crazy over the Disney Plus series Mandalorian. If you have been around me any time over the past year or so, you know I'm in love with Grogu and can be caught singing a Baby Yoda song quite regularly. <laughs> but before the hype of the Mandalorian, there was a group of fans so excited about the existing Mandalorians in the Star Wars universe like Boba Fett and Jango Fett that they design, build, and create their own armor. And we have one of them here with us today. We welcome into the show Mike Porter. He is a, and you'll have to help me pronounce this, Ruslor. Ruslor? That's exactly right. I said it right? Yeah. I'm I'm surprised. <laughs> I am surprised. <laughs> uh, which means Sergeant in Arms from the Crate Clan. Did I say it? Crate Clan, exactly. Crate Clan, okay. Yeah. I know it's like the Crate Dragons, so I should know. Exactly. That. The mm -hmm. Crate Clan, uh, that's the Utah chapter of the Mandalorian Mercs. First of all, welcome so much, Mike. Thank you for joining us. Oh, it's a pleasure. Thank you. <laughs> um, now, for newer Star Wars fans here, can you real quick explain like what a Mandalorian is before we kind of get into the importance of their armor and your group uh, building them? Uh, sure. A Mandalorian is um, uh, the people that come from the planet Mandalore. Um, there's a couple of other planets included in that system, but primarily they're a warrior race. They build armor out of a out of a metal called Beskar, which is darn near impervious, so that armor is very sought after around the galaxy. You know, they've they've gone through several different iterations of that type of armor mm -hmm. and uh they've been around for pretty much thousands of years in the galaxy far, far away. Well and like you said, they're they're very notable warriors. The first one we really meet in the Star Wars universe was Boba Fett, who's the bounty hunter. And uh, you know, they're mercenaries, they're bodyguards, they're they're very tough one. But from my understanding, they're not just a like a race of people, it's a whole culture within Star Wars, correct? It is, yeah. There are quite a few Mandalorians who were not necessarily born on Mandalore. Mm -hmm. uh, we call them foundlings. Uh, who are brought into the culture. They accept the creed and want to follow the teachings of Mandalore, and they um, become part of us. So in our club, mm -hmm. you'll actually find 
human-type Mandalorians, mm -hmm. but you'll also find Twi'leks and Wookiees and all kinds of other races that have been accepted into the culture. See, and you know, you know me because we were talking it before time, and I, I said I really wanted to be a, a Twi'lek at some point. So <laughs> I am glad <laughs> at some point I might be able to be a Twi'lek Mandalorian. <laughs> Absolutely, we we have a couple, and uh, they're they're fantastic. That's so cool. So before we get much more into the mythology and the history of of the Mandalorians, can you tell me a little bit about the Mandalorian Mercs? How this club formed? What it does? Yeah, the, the club was started by a guy named um, Tom Hutchins, I believe in 2007, after meeting other people who were interested in Mandalorians, interested in the armor, were actually attempting to build their own armor. Mm -hmm. And so they kind of got together and decided to start a club, kind of fashioned after the 501st, mm -hmm. which is like the primary <laughs> Star Wars club. The Cray clan, uh, the Utah chapter, uh, began in 2010. Mm -hmm. So we were one of the earlier clans. We started with, I, I think, six members, and now we're at 64 members. Oh, how fun. And does everyone who's, who's in the club, do you have to have the Mandalorian armor in order to join the club? Like, how does that work? Yeah, that's that's a prerequisite, as you were, as you would say, to be an official member of the club. Um, we bring people in, we call them recruits, and we help them build their own armor. It goes through several stages where they put on their armor and we take pictures, we send it out to the members of the, the clan, they pick it apart and find all the flaws and whatnot. And a little then, constructive uh, criticism. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The, the, the goal is to is to help them make a quality kit, is what we call it, a, a suit of armor. Once they get past that hurdle, those same pictures are sent to all the Rooslers in the region. Mm -hmm. In our region, it's, it's Utah, Idaho, Oregon, Washington. It's what we call the North Central region. And they pick it apart <laughs> and send a list of changes that need to be made. And you know, it, it's kind of a grueling process, but by the time those photos get to the club level for the application team to look at, mm -hmm. they're darn near perfect. And so they can look at them, vote, and and then send your acceptance letter. That's kind of the, the point of it is it's not just a, a plastic Halloween costume with half a mask, but it's movie <laughs> quality costumes. That is the goal. Yeah, yeah that is the goal. Now, does it have to be specific approved characters, or can you kind of create your own, like, background-type character? I don't know what you'd call it. Not quite an original <laughs> character, but uh, how does that work? Right. Well, you know, with the Mandalorians, there's really not that many canon characters mm -hmm. to choose from. And so with, a, with a, a club as large as ours, you know, and since we're dealing with an entire, you know, a race of people, you can pretty much make your own. Uh, there are certain standards and certain pieces of armor and certain shapes that you have to comply to. We call them the, the CRLs. But what does that uh, stand for? As, Just uh, it's, it's actually a costume requirement library. Ah, okay, okay. Does anyone... Now, I know this is a big issue with the Mandalorian series. If you keep your helmet on or if you can take it off in the group, <laughs> are you allowed to take the helmet off? We are. Um... <laughs> Our face is part of our, char our character, mm -hmm. and so if you've watched the series, especially season two, mm -hmm. you'll see that Bo-Katan, who is 
for all intents and purposes, the leader of the Mandalorians, she takes her helmet off. Uh, it's really just the um, children of the Watch who who aren't allowed to do that. And so unless your character is a part of the children of the Watch, you're <laughs> able to take your helmet off. And the children Watch, that's like a that's like a religious <laughs> kind of clump within within the Mandalorian it, it culture, is. right? Okay. Because like, I would love to be Sabine at some point, but and you'd have to be able to show off her awesome hair. So, uh, absolutely, <laughs> um, we have several Sabines, and they all have these fantastic purple hair oh, things going on. It's just it's beautiful. <laughs> oh, I love it! I love it. And, but you know, as long as you're compliant with those CRLs, you know, the color of your armor, mm-hmm. um, the the. Sh- I kind of the shape, I guess, uh-huh. um, in some places, uh, you know, you have to have that, that classic Mandalorian look to mm-hmm. it, but everybody is different. And so you shape it to your own body and whatnot. And, and as long as it, it has that Mandalorian look and it's, it's a, it's a good quality set of armor, pretty much anything is allowed. We have, uh, Mandalorians that have unpainted silver, armor all the way to very garish colors <laughs> uh, there's a some of them that you look at and you're like wow that, that's bright <laughs> <laughs> well and, and it needs to be kind of fun and different because you guys are actually out doing some really cool things you're not just going to fanix events or it's not just a cosplay group but it's also rooted in charity work correct yeah that's our primary purpose we we go out and we we support charities you know you'll see us at at childhood cancer events mm-hmm. that happen during the summer. We do quite a bit with Make-A-Wish. You know, we're, we're there for the kids. I'll tell you a story. So we did an event at, at Daybreak for the Millie's Princess Foundation, which is a children's cancer organization that raises money to help fight cancer for children. And, you know, we came out of an empty building there on Soda Row, and there was a kid across the street that as soon as he saw us walk out of there, I mean, his eyes were like dinner plates. And he just was like, Dad, look, comes running at us. And that's precarious sometimes because we can't really see in our helmets. But, you know, it is just a joy. It is worth the work to build this armor to see these kids when you walk in a room. And they know exactly who you are. You know, their, their parents may have an idea, you know, we're all Boba Fett to the parents for some (laughs) reason, but, um, the kids know we're Mandalorians and they are happy to see us. And that's, that's a crazy thing about, about what we do. Oh, I love that. And like, you know, right now I bet it's become even more popular because of the Mandalorian Disney Plus series. My niece and nephew, they are now completely obsessed with Star Wars because of the Mandalorian. My niece has her own original character she created, who's a Jedi. My nephew is a Mandalorian. And, uh, you know, she had her birthday party that was Mandalorian. She has her outfit picked out when we go to Star Wars uh, Galaxy's Edge in October. Like, it's so neat to see this younger generation become more involved with Star Wars and to understand these different characters. Oh, absolutely. You know, thanks to Disney Plus, you know, the Mandalorians are kind of the character of the month for <laughs> for Star Wars right now. So everybody knows, knows who, who we are, you know, and that's and that kind of brings back some of the magic. See, I'm I'm kind of one of the older guys that uh, that do this. I was eight years old in 1977 when Star Wars came out. And so, you know, and that was life altering for, you know, this little redheaded kid that, you know, went to see Star Wars. But when I saw Boba Fett 
on the screen in 1980, mm -hmm. you know, that was crazy. Here's this guy that has this gunslinger swagger and he stands up to Darth Vader, who's mm -hmm. the biggest of the big, big bad guys, you know, in the galaxy. And, you know, and he's just telling him what, you know, what he thinks. That's and so cool. to me, you know, like I said, as a little, as a little kid, that's what I wanted. I wanted that much confidence. You know, I, I didn't necessarily want to go out and kill people, but um, I wanted that kind of comfort, confidence. And that's what Boba Fett brought to me as a child. And so hopefully we can, you know, as costumers, bring that same kind of magic to the kids that see us when we're when we're out on the street. Well, and I bet it's just magic for you putting that armor on, just being able to interact with people like that. I just, I love it. I love it. Yeah. Uh, now it's, you... it's a lot of fun. Oh, definitely. Oh, I want to join you already. I need, there's too many costumes <laughs> I want to make. It's, it's nuts. I think I got to do the, the Twilic first though, and then I'll, I'll do the armor for that. So before the pandemic, you were out doing a lot of different events. You met and did costume building kind of nights and stuff like that. Now, you're still doing socially distanced costume creation nights. I don't know what you call them technically. Yeah, we call them armor parties. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, before the pandemic, we were we were having one really good large armor party a month mm -hmm. to help people build their armors. Since the pandemic, we've not quite shut down. Mm -hmm. We're trying to find better, safer ways to do it. We do, you know, limited armor parties. Since there's several Rooslers in the clan, we'll open up our home shops to one or two uh, recruits who want to come and talk to us and have some help. Mm -hmm. um, other than that, we've done some Zoom-based armor parties, which they work not well, <laughs> but it, it is what it is. It's what we have to do. Well, now that the pandemic's starting to, to wane a bit, people are getting vaccinated, um, the numbers are going down, events are opening back up again. Like, I know you guys are planning on coming to FanX in September, correct? That is correct. Mm -hmm. We will be there. Um, what's your plans for kind of starting everything back up? Well, the club has laid out some some requirements for us that, you know, we have to wear masks under our helmets and, mm -hmm. and things like that, and they are encouraging us, obviously, to, to be vaccinated. So really... You know, as soon as uh, people start having events again, mm -hmm. uh, we're very open to to showing up at those and doing whatever we need to do to, to stay safe. Well, are you guys doing anything for Star Wars Day that you can talk about? or uh, Nothing I can talk about right now. Mm -hmm. um, we've had some invites and we're trying to trying to work through how to do that. You know, in normal years, <laughs> um, we would we would literally be running from event to event mm -hmm. all day long. The younger members call it the gauntlet <laughs> and uh, they're, they're pretty tired. You know, being an older guy, I, I can't really do that, <laughs> but uh, the younger members, uh, they've, they've run the gauntlet before and uh -huh. they've, uh, they've just had a blast oh uh, going from Ogden to Provo and everywhere in between. Well, it sounds like you guys kind of become a, a family when We're you're all together. We're very much a family. Well, and then you interact um, a lot with the 501st and with the Rebel Legion and the Droid Builders. So it sounds like you all kind of just have this, this really fun group. We do. And, and there's several, a lot of the members are members of multiple clubs. And mm -hmm. so we have, a, we have a phrase that we use kind of as our clan motto. It's, mm -hmm. it's family is more than blood. Uh, meaning that even though we don't have the same parents, we can still be brothers and sisters. And so when you don the, the helmet, 
doesn't matter where you're from, who you are, you're now family. That is so great. And what's nice is you're also located here in Utah, and we're, we're very supportive of fandoms. We're the nerdiest state in the nation. We, we don't shy away from hiding what we love and the geekery that we enjoy. And it's also <laughs> just a beautiful place, so a lot of, lots of cool places for photo shoots. What is your, your favorite part about working in Utah, about doing this within Utah? Um, the people here are just fantastic. I mean, I mean I'm a native Utahan, and so uh, I can't imagine living anywhere else. <laughs> and our Star Wars groups, yeah, we're, we are a close group. But we also work with other fan groups mm-hmm. that, uh, you know, like the Ghostbusters and and the superheroes and, and whatnot. And getting together with these people, are, it's just so much fun. You know, when we're out doing an event somewhere, we have people that weren't even in that event running over to, you know, to see us because it's just something different and something cool. And so, yeah, the, the people in this state is, are, are just are just the best people ever. Um, so before we kind of close up this segment, can you real quickly kind of run down the overall, how do you join? Where do you find the information? How do you find us? The easiest way is to go to mandalorianmercs.org. That's our website. And there's a, a little button at the top that says, find your clan. And uh, you, you find the crate clan, uh, Utah chapter, and uh, you sign up right there. It's free to do. And then we can get in touch with you, tell you when our next armor party is, and answer all your questions, even get you some plastic to to get started with. And then we can uh, get you on the road to walking the path of the Mandalore. I love it. I love it. And what's – now, this is for everybody, right? Is there any age restrictions or anything like that we need to be aware of? Uh, You do need to be 18 Mm -hmm. to to become an official member. Um, We do have children in the club. But they are children of official members. And so if you're under 18, get your dad or mom to <laughs> to build a set of armor, and then you can build yours. <laughs> That's cool. Well, and um, you don't necessarily have to be an armor. You guys probably need handlers and stuff like that. Like there's other ways to support the group. Oh, always. Yeah. Always. Um, I was building my armor for 22 months. And oh, during wow. that 22 months, I was I was handling, going and, and helping the costumed uh, members mm-hmm. uh, get into their armor, uh, and most most people can't get into their armor by themselves. <laughs> and so, the handlers are there to help them get into their armor, make sure that they're not stepping on people because in the helmet you can't see uh-huh. and you can't hear. And so, the handlers are there to to keep you safe and keep the other people safe. And so, you know, the official members will do that. Uh-huh. But it is great if we can get our recruits to come and do that as well so that they can get excited for their build. So that sounds like you've, you've made a space for everyone, even if you're still getting there with the armor. Yep, absolutely. <laughs> awesome. So, Mike, this has been so much fun to talk with you today. I've loved learning about our local clan, the Crate Clan, and about the Mandalorian Mercs. I hope that we've been able to, to let our audiences know a bit more about ways they can explore the Star Wars universe, to, to join and support through costumes, support the storytelling, support the charities. Thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, you're very welcome. Thank you. All right. Thank you for listening. We're going to go ahead and go into a bit of a break now. And when we come back, we are actually going to be speaking to the 501st. If you don't know, that's primarily the bad guys that dress up and one of the biggest international organizations. Don't go away.
two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent, it was senseless, and I will never understand it, I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story. The struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Fan Effect. I'm your host today, Kelly Ann Halverson, and we have been talking about Star Wars Day. Uh, if you don't know, it is May the 4th, because everybody loves the May the 4th pun. <laughs> and it's a day where fans around the world get to celebrate this wonderful and magical universe that is the Star Wars universe. Uh, today, we've been talking to a bit of local fans, local groups that can help you celebrate Star Wars Day. We've already spoken to the Mandalorian Mercs, and he actually told us a little bit about this next group, the 501st Legion. And we're talking to the commanding officer, Brenda Almond, of the Alpine Garrison of the 501st Legion. Now, they're more than just stormtroopers, but they are a bit of the bad guys. But it seems like they are bad guys going about doing some good. Welcome, Brenda, to the show. Thank you. Very happy to be here. Now, I've seen you guys out and about at Fanex in different locations, and there seems to be a lot of stormtroopers and a lot of bad guys. Can you tell me a little bit about what makes this club a little bit different than the other costume clubs? Sure. So the 501st Legion, which is our international organization, is an organization dedicated to promoting Star Wars and charity work through screen-accurate costumes of all of the bad guys. We are the Darth Vaders, the Stormtroopers, the Royal Guards, and unlike maybe just a standard cosplayer you might see, all of our costumes are built to screen-accurate standards, so we look like we have just stepped off of a movie screen, um, so that's a lot of fun. And then everybody builds their own costume with a lot of love and care and a lot of money a lot of times, <laughs> and then use that to go out and we're the bad guys doing good, and we go out and we use those to help raise money for uh, local charities. I love that so much. One of the, the things that really got me into Star Wars was, you know, when Disney purchased it and it started being incorporated into the park. And there's nothing more fun than the advertisement, Darth Vader showing up at Disneyland, wearing the Mickey ears with his stormtrooper guards, just riding the rides, you know, bad guys just doing fun and good things. So it, that just makes me so happy to hear about that. Can you? Oh, yeah, uh, I love those ads. Oh my gosh! I had the shirt for ages that was him on the Dumbo ride with Vader on the Dumbo ride. Well, right? So. It's so fun. I wore it to shreds though, so I have to lean on some of my other Star Wars shirts now. So tell us a little bit about the Alpine Garrison, which is Utah's garrison of the Five Hundred First. Yeah. So the Alpine Garrison, we cover the state of Utah, so the entire state. 
and we're a group of approximately, we have about 150 members, mm -hmm. and then probably another 100 people that help us out as handlers and friends and people who come and help us at the events. Answer so questions and stuff, yeah. We have a, quite a good group of people. We love to do a lot of different charities. One mm -hmm. of our favorite, the last couple Fanex, we've raised money for Make-A-Wish. Mm -hmm. um, we've gone out and done Make-A-Wish, um, actual wish grantings with kids. Oh, wow. um, where we've gone out, which they're always just wonderful troops to do. What are those like? So they're really awesome because a lot of times we're going to tell a kid, you know, your wish has been granted. And so Darth Vader gets to show up and um, <laughs> give them gifts and, and um, say, hey, you're going to Disneyland or oh you're going gosh. to do whatever. And to watch the look on their face is wonderful. I yeah, those are always that. great. You, you can't see me that because you're on the phone, but like my my jaw is literally touching my my chest. I was just like so awed by that. That that's so awesome. So make a wish. What what are some of the other um, charities you work for? You work with, I should say. We've done stuff for uh, Sahara Cares Autism and done some of those fairs. We've done stuff with Millie's Princess Run. Pretty much any local charity that would benefit from us there that we can help draw people in, uh, help create excitement. Mm -hmm. um, we're happy to uh, to partner with them and be at their events and help them with their fundraising. I absolutely love that. And, you know, talking to the Mike Porter of the Mandalorian Mercs, he was telling us how you guys really work together to make these experiences even more special. Oh, absolutely. Um, because to the public, I mean, we at the 501st, we have our identity as the bad guys, but the general public and kids are just like, this is Star Wars. And yeah, so it's great that we can actually uh, all work together because the public doesn't see a difference between us and another group. We've got our identity as the bad guys, but when the public sees things, they just see Star Wars. So oh. the kids are running up to us and they're like, oh, look, there's a Jedi and there's Darth Vader. And they just want to see the, they just want to see the Star Wars characters. So it's really important to us that we are working together and able to come together, um, as we call it, one galaxy, one goal, uh -huh. in order to synergize our groups. And it really does feel like you guys step out of the films. I've, I've seen you at different events and, and locations, and your costumes are just breathtaking and amazing. Can you tell me a little bit about how these costumes are built, that process? Because that is required for being a full member, correct? Yeah, that is correct. So in order to be a member, you do have to have that screen accurate costume. And there are a certain set of standards we call our costume reference library that basically details out here's here's what it needs to look like. Here's the colors of the buttons. Here's the fabrics. Here's, oh, wow. you know, everything down to very minute details. So my costume is a royal guard. There are certain helmets that work for it. So you get one of those helmets and then, okay, my outer robes have to be made of this velvet or this velveteen. And then it have to be cut this way. So you find the patterns and you find somebody that can sew them if you can't do it and make those costumes specifically to you. And then for our people who are like stormtroopers, mm -hmm. they put this armor together. People, when they get their kits, there are makers who make these kits. Mm -hmm. They just get this box comes, and basically it's these pieces of plastic that show up. <laughs> and they have to lovingly cut that and glue it and create it into a stormtrooper. Well, that's part of the, the fun of the process as well, is you're not just buying a good costume off of Etsy. You're, part of it is you're actually building it and creating it yourself. Oh, absolutely. It is uh, blood, sweat, and tears, <laughs> for sure. That's great. 
Well, and um, do you guys do like get-togethers where you build or critique each other's costumes? How does that work to actually function within the individual groups, the individual garrison, I should say? Yes, um, that's a great question. So when somebody's looking to make a costume uh, for the first time or a new costume that they're maybe not familiar with, um, we will get together and do what we call armor parties. And we'll have some of our more experienced members who know how to put these together well, help them get started, make sure they're on the right track. Because a lot of these, if you cut it the wrong way, you make a mistake, it can be expensive or hard to fix. So Mm -hmm. you want to make sure you're doing it right. And we'll always provide that support to our our prospective members because we want it to be a great experience for them. I bet you have really a kind of a a resource pool of individuals here locally uh, that can help with different things. Like I... I cannot sew worth anything, although in my heart of hearts, I really wish I could. (laughs) Um, So do you have like a resources of people who can help out and things like that as well? Yeah, we sure do. So um, I don't sew either, and my costume is a soft costume. Mm -hmm. Um, So I had a friend that made my inner robes, um, and then I was able to commission my outer robes. Uh Um, So usually you can put out the call and say, okay, I need this done in this time frame, and people will go, well, I can do it, or I don't, I can't do it, but here's somebody who might be able to, and usually you can find somebody. But a big part of it is, like, no original characters. You can't, like, do gender bent or, or anything like that, mashups from, from different genres of, of Disney or anything like that, correct? Yeah, that's correct. So the 501st really focuses on those canon costumes and the, the screen-accurate ones, so no gender bent, no mm-hmm. no strange mashups. But uh, I think you said you talked to the Mandalorian mercs. Yeah. Uh, they specialize more in the custom Mandalorian, so they'll have a style, and then you could be more creative within that. I just have this vision in my head of being um, Ariel as a Jedi one day. <laughs> I think that'd be really fun to do the Little Mermaid je- uh, as a Jedi. So. And I've had friends that go to FanX, and when they're not working the booth or not in the booth in costume, they've done things like that. Um, so one of the things I'd love to do is an Ursula Sith. So. Oh, see? There you go. I'll, I'll be Ariel Jedi. You can be Ursula Sith, and we'll there just we have go. a fun time. There we go. <laughs> so what have been some of um, your favorite costumes you've created over the years? So for me, I haven't done a ton of cosplay, but Mm -hmm. when I first joined the 501st, I did a bridge crew. Um, That's a pretty easy entry-level costume. It's Mm -hmm. a flight suit, belt, hat, boots, while I was working on getting my Royal Guard done and then built my Royal Guard. My husband has an officer in the 501st, and then uh, my daughter also has a scanning crew. So our whole family is involved. and. Yeah, but usually prior to that in FanX, I was I would go as an observer and stalk the 501st and get lots of pictures with these people that once I joined, I'm like, oh, that's who my picture's with. So. <laughs> that's great. So for, for those like me, I've, I've been similar. I've, I've watched from afar. <laughs> um, for people who are interested in like getting, getting to know you guys, what, what would that process be instead of just stalking you and taking pictures? Yeah, we'd love to get people involved. Um, if Anybody who's interested can go to our website at ut501st.com and sign up there. We have forums there and kind of has a how to get involved. But in general, while you're 
deciding on a costume or deciding if you want to do a costume, but you still want to help out with some of the cool things we're doing, we would love to have people come and be handlers because our costumes, you can't see very well, you can't hear very well, can't see little kids come running up to you to give you a hug. So you need those people around you uh, to help out. So we love having new members uh, come in through that way. Mm -hmm. And then you get to see the armor close up. You get to decide, oh, I like this costume or I tried on this helmet and there's no way I could wear that for an (laughs) hour or two hours. I I don't like the way Stormtrooper helmets fit. Mm -hmm. So, uh, Are they just kind of claustrophobic or... Yeah, and other people find the one, my Royal Guard helmet, extremely claustrophobic. So it's good to be able to uh, to try different different ones on and say, oh, yeah, that's really cool, or no, nah, I wouldn't want to do that. Well, I, I bet, too, at like these armor parties and, and um, meetups, you guys are able to kind of talk to each other about, hey, if I did this again, this is how I would do it, um, this is how it fits, this is how it works, and everything like that. Absolutely, and um, also... Usually when people are doing a trial run, like when they first got their costume done, mm-hmm. first time a stormtrooper comes out, we're, we're always helping them, okay, if you wear it like this, you're less likely to have the armor pinching you, and mm-hmm. it's easier to wear, and it's easier to walk, and things that you don't even really think about until you're actually in that costume. Oh, wow. I've done a, a lot of theater in my life, so like all this is stuff I think about. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> so it's fun to, to hear that um, coming from someone else as well. So you primarily deal with the bad guys, but there's also local groups that do the good. You told me already you work with uh, the local Crate Clan, the the Mandalorian Mercs and stuff like that. Can you tell me a little bit about other groups here in the the Utah area that people can work with? Sure. Kind of our counterparts, the Rebel Legion, they're the good guys. So Mm -hmm. those are your your Jedis. And they have generic Jedis as well as uh, named characters, your Han Solo, your Luke Skywalker. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we also have Saber Guild, uh, which is the Rusan Temple. And they they actually focus on lightsaber choreographed combat. So if you want to be a little bit more active with what you're doing, um, that's kind of the group for that. I love that. My, my niece has just recently become obsessed with Star Wars because of The Mandalorian. And literally, she comes over and we work on lightsaber choreography. <laughs> that's and so awesome. that sounds so fun that you, and she's this little eight year old in this adorable Jedi dress running around in the park. Of course, I have to be a bad guy though. <laughs> but that's so cool. So there's actually clubs and stuff that you can learn lightsabers, uh, saber yeah. battling and stuff. Okay. Yep. Is there more clubs for us to, to be aware of in case we're, um, our, some of our listeners are interested in? Picking a certain sect of Star Wars to to build costumes for, build characters for? Those are the major ones. Mm -hmm. And, like, if somebody reaches out to us on Facebook or through our our website, Uh if they start talking about, oh, I want to do a custom Mando or I want to be on the good guys, and we will absolutely point them to the other clubs and say, here's who you want to talk to, but come out to one of our joint events and we'll get you hooked up. Is there a reason everything is kind of segregated into the different good guys, bad guys, different cultures in the Star Wars universe? I think it probably comes down to uh, control over the costume standards. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think things just grew out of um, the people who started the 501st really wanted to do bad guys. So Mm -hmm. that is what they decided to, to focus on. And then other groups popped up as well. But I absolutely love that we all work together for, again, the one galaxy, one goal, and uh, 
just for the love of Star Wars and to do good things. It's so fun, too, because, like, everyone loves Star Wars, even if weren't necessarily raised on it. It's just become part of our cultural knowledge, that cultural brain that we all have. So everyone just seems to, to recognize it and resonate with it. What's been real fun with me is just exploring more of the Star Wars universe, and I'm, I'm still a bit of a novice. Um, I'm still getting into it. I haven't watched all the animated series or anything quite yet. But it's really connected me to my niece and nephews, my honorary nieces and nephews. This this younger generation is something fun to attach to because everyone loves the story of good versus bad and thrown with a little bit of space magic. And a couple years ago, I was actually down at Disneyland with my second family, my best friend and her, her family and kids. And her daughter is the coolest kids ever. She would be perfect to to join you guys. She is all the dark side. And so we go into that area where you can get your pictures taken with Darth Vader and everything like that. And she comes in and immediately is bending down in a bow and pledging herself to the dark side because she just loves Darth Vader. So she's, she's the best, kindest, sweetest little girl. But she's like, oh, no, I'm... I'm bad side. She associates with that. That's awesome. <laughs> and meanwhile, her brother is hiding and like pretending to be asleep because he doesn't want to be scared by Vader. <laughs> I love how Star Wars really pulls together the generations from my dad who got to experience the, the first trilogy as it come out. To me, I grew up with the prequels coming out. And now with the whole sequel series for the younger kids, it's something that really bonds the generation. I bet you've had just amazing experiences that that you can share about how uh, Star Wars connects people and and inspires people. Oh, yes. When we have our Fanex booths and we're raising money for Make-A-Wish and we have, you know, the Make-A-Wish banners up and things like that. Mm -hmm. We've had several times where people come up and they're like, you don't know me. This happened at another state or another garrison, but you have to know my kid was a -A Make-A-Wish kid and the... The garrison in whatever state came and was with my kid as they were going through cancer or they're going through whatever. And you guys made a huge difference in the life of my child. And thank you. And those things just it's just like, wow, yeah, that you're part of something bigger at that point. That's one of the greatest things about loving storytelling in these universes is it just attaches you to others. And I think there's something special about being there for for a person and not like being paid for it if that makes sense um i did a lot of volunteering with with children's theater and there's something about someone caring about you and how you can connect with people from totally different backgrounds totally different life experiences through these stories and it's not like you're being paid for it or anything it's not like your responsibility is to to entertain them you do it out of out of love and that's one thing i love so much about Star Wars fans. I've been accepted as as a novice. I'm not ever yelled at for not knowing what planet a Wookiee is from or anything like that. Yeah, like it's just accepting and wonderful. And yes, and I, I, yeah, I've found that it is a very accepting community, and it it doesn't matter, um, you know, size, shape, gender, gender mm-hmm. identity, anything. It's like we're all in this great big nerd culture, and <laughs> you know. We're all together in that, and and that's just incredible. Well, in, in being here in Utah, we have this really unique supportive nerd culture as a whole. I think it's different than any other place you're going to find. What do you like specifically about operating in Utah and, and with these Utah fans? 
I think it's just the excitement. I mean, you look at Fanex and the history of that, and mm-hmm. I think they were expecting it to be just this little convention, and it just exploded because mm-hmm. people are so passionate about things here. So it's just great to have that energy to feed off of and to be a part of because it makes you feel good when people, when you have like grown adults, you always expect the kids to be running up to people and go, oh, this is so cool. But when you have adults that are obviously 40s and above who <laughs> are geeking out as much, if not more than their kids, it's just that, you know, that's cool too. Oh, I love it. I love it. Uh, now, before we close this segment, can you do a, a little quick run through of how people join, where people find it, in case people didn't have a, a pen ready when, when you mentioned it before? Our website is ut501st.com. You can sign up for the forums there, and there's a bunch of information. We are also on Facebook, and do respond to Facebook Messenger. And those are probably the easiest ways to get us. And that's for like also for booking events or, or something like that. Absolutely. So right on our website, um, we have a form to fill out if you would like to have us for an event and you just fill out uh, who you want, some basic information on the date and time, and mm-hmm. then one of our event coordinators will get back to them. Oh, I love that. Now, you guys are doing these events and doing charitable work, but even outside of these events, you can still donate in order to help these different organizations, and you guys help to get that to the correct place, correct? Um, yeah, we certainly can. Um, the most common way is is through events, and usually we'll have a donation box or things like that, mm-hmm. but if somebody would like to donate in our name, we've, we've done that as well. Like if we've done an event for a community group that's um, a nonprofit and they've actually donated to like primary children's hospital in, in the name of the garrison oh, or in the name of the 501st. I love that. So Brenda Almond, commanding officer of the Alpine Garrison, the 501st Legion, the bad guys in the Star Wars universe, the local costume club. I am so grateful I got to chat with you today and learn a bit more about not just your club, but the amazing work you are doing. One of my honorary nephews actually received a Make-A-Wish And it really was a magical experience. And I'm just honored to be talking to someone who helps to facilitate that program to so many awesome people. Thank you for joining us. I'm so glad. And you might see me at some point probably be a handler. And honestly, I'm not much of a bad guy. (laughs) Hey, we would love to have you. And and thank you so much for inviting me and having me on. Oh, thank you. All right, we're going to go ahead and close this segment and go into break. But don't leave. Next, we have the good guys as we are joined by Rogue Base. That is our local Rebel Legion chapter. Hang on. We'll be right back. there. I'm your fan effect host for today, Kelly Ann Halverson. We have been getting excited for Star Wars Day. Coming up fast on May the 4th, be with you. And have been talking to some amazing local Star Wars fans and groups that can help you celebrate this big day. Uh, In this episode, we've already talked to the bad guys with the Alpine Garrison of the 51st Legion and the Mandalorian Mercs mercenaries. So, you know, they go to whoever pays them the most, the local Krat clan. And now we finally get to talk 
to the truly good guys. The Rebel Legion is the Star Wars-based costuming fan club that dedicates itself to creating and wearing costumes from the hero characters of the Star Wars saga. Jedi, rebel pilots, princesses, and even Wookiees join forces as rebels for a cause who help raise awareness and funds for charities across the known galaxy. Today, we are joined by a member of our local legion, the Rogue Base, Jacob Tyke. He's actually a former commanding officer of the base, as well as a founding member of our local chapter. So he was part of the group that actually brought the legion to Utah. And he can be seen around Utah preaching the light side of the force. Welcome, Jacob. I'm so excited to finally have the good guys, the rebels, on the show. Happy to be here, Talia. Now, before we really get into what the Rebel Legion does, um, I wanted to read a bit from the organization's website where they recount the history of the group because I just thought it was too good not to hit. A note says, Much like the rebellion in the Star Wars movies, an alliance of rebel costumers first appeared in mid-1999 thanks to a handful of brave individuals who responded to the rise of the 501st and wanted to celebrate the heroes of the Star Wars saga. By 2001, Rebel Legion had multiplied in numbers and is now an international club that has become the premier rebel costuming group in the Star Wars community. I I just love that, that it was like the dark side rose up and then the the heroes had to rise up and take over and start their own group. Can you tell us a little bit more uh, about the club, about Rebel Legion? Well, as you said, you know, it was formed in 1999. About that time, of course, is when the prequel episodes... Mm-hmm. Phantom Menace uh, were coming out, and of course, the uh, followed. And basically, it was why should the bad guys, the Bible First Legion, be the only ones that get to share their passion for costuming with the public? Mm-hmm. And because, you know, as many people who want to be a stormtrooper, there's just as many people who want to be a Jedi or a rebel pilot, you know. And the numbers are pretty equal as far as, you know, people who are interested. It just basically goes to what tickles your fancy. So, uh, the Rebel Legion, I. I would say that one of the reasons it's been so successful is not just because the Star Wars mm-hmm. made people want to be involved with Star Wars. It's just because that it gave the fans an option. Want to do bad guys? You know, if I will first. Hey, if you want to do the good guys? All right, Revolution. There you go. <laughs> and we have fun with each other, you know, going back and forth, you know, good guys, bad guys, you know. But when we're together, it's Star Wars. We have the same mission, just different costumes. I just love it, too. And, like, that's totally where I would end up if I was um... – working with you guys a bit, a bit more. I'd probably be more of the, the good guys. I want to be a Jedi. I want a lightsaber. I want to help people and use the Force and be known for good throughout the galaxy. So what do you yeah. think um, makes you guys the good guys, in your opinion? Well, uh, we can't take all the credit. George Lucas <laughs> and everybody at Lucas from Disney wrote the stories the way mm-hmm. they are. and Our characters are, you know, the heroes. Mm-hmm. Um, and now when it comes down to... If you're going by what makes us the good guys in terms of the costuming clubs, <laughs> the only reason we're the good guys is because that's what we've been labeled by the films, okay? The hero characters, uh, the good guys who you know, try and do what's right. Uh-huh. Uh, when you take off the costumes and it's just us as members, it's the same people. Mm-hmm. Seriously, we, always, we don't consider <laughs> one better than the other. We just, you know, of course, have affiliations, but we enjoy the camaraderie. It's just, you know, one person's wearing white armor with a TK helmet. The other person's walking around in robes with a lightsaber. You know, just mm-hmm. there's... That's the only difference. But we, you take away the costume and you just have us in our regular civilian clothing, so to speak. We will talk forever about all the similar passions that we have, including Star Wars. And most of the time, it's just a group of people who just love 
the movies mm-hmm. or the Star Wars universe in general. So the only reason we are the good guys is because of the costumes we're wearing. That does not make us any better. That does not make us any worse. We are the same as far as uh, level of fandom. <laughs> we are the same. We love Star Wars. Mm-hmm. So all of this conversation about who's a good guy, bad guy, how do we handle Anakin? Like young Anakin, old Anakin, where does Anakin lie? Okay. <laughs> he goes across the spectrum several times, but here's how you determine mm-hmm. whether it's a good guy or a bad guy. The costume that you're doing, what were they doing when they were wearing that costume? For example, Anakin as a younger Jedi, you know, when he had the shorter hair, mm-hmm. okay, he was doing heroic things. Granny was having some, you know, crisis of, you know, alignments and whatnot, whether, mm-hmm. you know, he... And we all have those. You know, every Jedi has to deal with, the, you know, the temptation of the dark side. Okay. Mm-hmm. Then you go to it later where, you know, it's a fully mature Jedi knight, Anakin Skywalker. Got the long hair. Got the cool scar over his eye. <laughs> For the most of the movie, he'll be considered a hero character. It's when he approaches the temple and he starts to kill all the Jedi. And, you know, mm-hmm. of course, massacres the younglings. Oh, and he, he eyes turn on yellow. Now he's bad. Mm-hmm. So that Anakin, that version will be 501st. Right on we really don't talk about that much in the Revolution. Okay? Anakin <laughs> has some issues. Mm-hmm. Now, fast forward to where he has just killed the Emperor mm-hmm. and redeemed himself, so to speak. Mm-hmm. As far as I know, nobody's done this as an official, you know, good guy costume. But if you were to do a Anakin with the helmet off, the mask off, he's missing one of his robotic hands. Uh-huh. If you were to do that costume, I think they would consider that a good Anakin. So he's a hero at that point. Revolution should take claim to that version of Anakin Skywalker. So when he's when he's Darth Vader, and they, they say specifically, you know, when he joined the Emperor right before then, he was given Darth Vader. So at that point, he is evil Anakin, Darth Vader. Okay, <laughs> uh, and then of course you go through all the you know the Darth Vader armor and everything. Every single time you see Darth Vader in full armor with the red lightsaber, that's that's Bible first. They can claim him. Iconic image. They're not like letting go of that. Uh, the moment that he turns hero, what's, as far as his actions go, in my opinion, he's lost his hand. He's killed the emperor. He takes off the mask and the helmet. That's a hero again. Wow. Sounds like I, I kind of touched a I've only seen a few people try that makeup job, and it's pretty hard. Oh, I bet. I bet. Uh, sounds like I, I touched kind of a, a debate within the community. <laughs> uh, yeah. And, and, I'll be happy to debate anybody who really disagrees, but that's my stand <laughs> on it. As far as, you know, whether, you know, the hero, villain, there are a few characters that double dip. Like, for example, clone troopers. Yeah. Okay. Both Bible First and the uh, Revolution will take uh, clone troopers mm-hmm. because they, they ride both sides. Yeah. When yeah. they first started, they were heroes of the Republican Army, public army you know, mm-hmm. they're helping out. And then, of course, Order 66, oh. boom, they're all bad guys because they're killing all the Jedi. Mm-hmm. You know, just simple things like that mm-hmm. and switch it. But, but there are pretty standard costumes that are always going to be a good guy. Any Jedi, if it's a true Jedi, then it's obviously a good guy costume. If somebody's saying, well, I don't know if they're this kind of Jedi, like, trust me, if they are not full-out evil, trying to kill people with a red lightsaber, that would make them a Sith, wouldn't it? Mm-hmm. If they're not that, they're Jedi. And if they're not doing that, then they're neither, okay? So... What about, like, Ahsoka uh, in, like, The Mandalorian, where she's not an official uh, Jedi Knight, but she's still, like, a good guy, or even, um, oh, he's one of my favorites, Kanan, yeah, Kanan, um, Caleb, original name, yeah, and Caleb was the original name, because he never completely got trained, he never finished his uh, knighthood, he was able to escape Order 66, like, those are still good guys, too, right? There's a little bit of a finesse. 
Actually, uh, Canon Jarrus is considered a, a, a Canon Jedi Knight. Okay, um, cool. One of the things that, and you watch the series and follow mm-hmm. up on that, but I've done that costume as one of my favorite characters. Ah, mine um, too. Him and Hera. Yep. Um, one of the things that you can do to become a Jedi Knight is you don't necessarily have to go through all the trials. Mm-hmm. You can go through something equivalent. For example, this is in canon, Obi-Wan Kenobi. He was about to go through the trials when the whole mess on Naboo happened, mm-hmm. and he was able to use his skills to best assist Lord, mm-hmm. Darth Maul. The council, it's in the movie, they grant him the rank of Jedi Knight immediately because certain actions like that became his trial. Prove to the Jedi Council that you are a Jedi. Your alignments are where they need to be. Your skills are where they need to be. You are a Jedi Knight. Awesome. Same thing happened with Kanan Jarrus. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's some of the things that he did. It's not necessarily you know as well known, but Kanan Jarrus was considered a Jedi Knight when he passed. Okay. He was had achieved that rank at that time. You asked about Ahsoka. Yeah. Uh, in my opinion, Ahsoka Tano is still good. Right? Yeah. Um, she is, and so she's considered a hero. Whether or not she's considered a Jedi or not, you know, at one point she was, and then at one point she wasn't, but mm-hmm. she still had the ability to wield the Force. And the fact that she was still doing good with it, in my opinion, still makes her a Jedi because, come down to it, what's the Jedi trying? What are the Jedi trying to do? They are trying to help the galaxy mm-hmm. with their abilities as a Force. You know, hunt down the bad, uh, make sure they're not a threat, and help the good. Now, Ahsoka. The main difference between her and other Jedi is she kind of saw that the Jedi organization not holding up to the true ideal, (laughs) and she couldn't bring herself to deal with that. Mm -hmm. And so she saw through the cracks. She saw some of the hypocrisy. This is the same hypocrisy that drove Anakin to the dark side, so it's a legitimate thing at the time. She left the Jedi Order, so she was never given the rank of a a Jedi Knight, Mm -hmm. but in my opinion... She did good afterwards. She did what she could to help out the galaxy, especially mm-hmm. during the Clone Wars. She kept her lightsabers, even though they didn't have the green or the blue colors. She mm-hmm. used the lightsabers, which I love. Know, with her, this with, is a white with, with her ability in the Force, mm-hmm. kind of go into herself where she is a Jedi, but not in the Jedi Order. Mm-hmm. That's so, cool. There are other people who have opinions about that, but Ahsoka to me, she's still a Jedi. Um, here, also, this is canon. You can use this as my research or as my as my proof that she is a Jedi. Most recent movie that came out, we have The Rise of Skywalker. Rey is in the middle of a fight with the Emperor. She's mm-hmm. on her back. She's looking up to the stars, and what oh. voices does she hear? I heard it. I heard she it. She, she, heard, she heard both Kanan Ahsoka and Ahsoka. Voice, yeah. Ahsoka Tano and Kanan Jarrus, both their voices are there. Why would the Jedi be coming as all the Jedi if they weren't included as Jedi? That makes sense. That yeah. makes sense. So, I love it. So Ahsoka Tano is a Jedi. Maybe not necessarily part of the Jedi Order, which... Mm-hmm to exist shortly after she left but she is in my opinion a jedi i like that um so how soon after say a new episode of mandalorian comes out um and people go oh i want to do that costume of that jedi how how soon after does it start going through the process of being able to to cosplay that to be approved as a costume it all depends on several factors one can you see a clear shot of all the aspects of the costume from that episode. Because you'll have people who will, you know, watch it frame by frame by frame to get every single angle. Mm-hmm. Because until you can, they can't really let you submit that costume. So that's one of the key requirements. Can you see all angles of that costume from the episode that you saw? Mm-hmm. If you can, then you can start the process of trying to make what you saw. And we live in a day and age where uh, we have got great tools to help you out, not just people who know how to sew, but you've got the internet where you can do your research. Mm-hmm. 
sometimes you can find out how they made that costume. Sometimes they'll even release, you know, images ahead of the movie or the episode being released. You can use that as your research space. So you get the internet, and you also have, in Utah we have a pretty good group, 3D printing. Oh, yeah. So you have somebody who knows what they're doing with the images and whatnot. You see something on the screen. You have no idea what it is. You just know what it looks like. Mm-hmm. And so you say, well, give this image to a 3D printer. Do you think you can make that? <laughs> Nine times out of ten, they'll say, yeah. And that one out of ten times, it's going to be like, I'll get back to you. But yep. most of the time, they can figure out how to do it. And so then it's just a matter of how difficult is the fabrication of that costume going to be. For example, uh, when Rogue-based movie came out. Rogue One. Great costumes in that. Yeah, Rogue One. Sorry, uh-huh. Rogue One. <laughs> when Rogue One came out, great costumes in that. And there were people at the premiere who, from the trailers and from other research they were able to do, were able to put together costumes that matched what they saw in the trailer. So, cool. so you had a shirt, Imway, <laughs> face, Malbus. That's a really difficult costume, if you ask me. Mm-hmm. But, uh, and, of course, uh, Generoso. And you had those people there at the premiere who had, from what they could see, replicated the costume and put it out there. Mm-hmm. So if you've got images of what you can see, within a couple of months, somebody's going to have a working model of that. That's so cool. Well, and it's been fun. As we've, I've talked to Mike and Brenda, you know, a, a, they're saying a lot of people actually cosplay in each other's groups. Like, they have a bad character, a good character, a Mandalorian. <laughs> you see? Yeah. So it is, it's kind of a fun thing. And you're actually one of the really good guys because you're part of those founding members that actually started the Utah chapter. Can you tell us a little bit about that process, how that, that happened? I'll tell you from my, my side of things. Uh, you've already contacted and had the Alpine Garrison give uh, their history. Uh, the Alpine Garrison has had a pretty rich history for a long time here in Utah. Now, when I first joined the Rebel Legion in 2004, I had a Jedi costume, you know, went through the approval process. But as far as the chapter, it was, at that time, Utah fell in with the Mountain Base mm-hmm. chapter, which right now is operating out of uh, Colorado mostly. And at the time, their territory covered, you know, Utah. Now, Alpine Garrison back then in 2004, covered also the uh, territories of Idaho and Montana. So they were pretty big as far as geographically speaking. And they were very welcoming to, you know, anybody who had a uh, movie-quality Star Wars costume, which is the goal, and they are happy to let us uh, trip along with them. And so, you know, that's what I did. I didn't really think much of it other than the fact that there were these opportunities, uh, the Alpine Garrison message boards were, you know, posting the events. I would show up in my Jedi. Initially, I did get an Imperial costume, but I was always a rebel at heart, so I stuck with the rebel costumes. Mm-hmm. Uh, fast forward six years later, and several other new members from the Rebel Legion have come and entered the picture. And so we have a pretty decent-sized group. And I don't remember which of us started looking into it, but I remember I was one of them. We did the research, and we found out that the Rebel Legion requirements for creating your own base mm-hmm. was within your particular geographic area, 15 people. And so we looked at the Alpine Garrison area, and we kind of messaged each other and found out, hey, you've got more than enough members to create our own base. So granted, we had to go through the right channels to create the base boundaries, create mm-hmm. the base name, base logo, et cetera. But in July 2010, we finally got the approval and Rogue Base was created. Since then, uh, we've grown pretty regularly. I would say first five years, you know, kind of slow growth. Mm-hmm. But I have to be, be honest, once uh, Salt Lake Comic Con, now Fanex came around, mm-hmm. our exposure skyrocketed oh yeah that's right i always see you guys yep and uh our membership grew and grew and grew and so as of now rogue base is only utah Mm -hmm. because similar to how uh, the alpine garrison had idaho and montana split off and formed their own base the same thing happened with the rogue base where 
Idaho and Montana split off to form Tecodana Base, our friends up north, and Utah is, is primarily Rogue Base now. That's so cool. that's the history of Rogue Base in a nutshell, and we're still going strong. Now, this is cool because I haven't really been able to talk to others about the creation of, of, the, of their group, of their chapter so much. Can you tell me a little bit about, like, why you guys chose Rogue Base and, like, the process of creating the logo and stuff? pretty much uh, the members get together, and in this case, we were doing this all on the Revolution Forum mm-hmm. online boards. And uh, so we started going through, you know, okay, well, you have to have this and that. And so we started putting together, you know, what are some possible names? Like, for example, Alpine Base, just to be the, you know, the twin of Alpine Garrison. Mm-hmm. That was proposed. A few others. One of our members, her name is Jill. She's a huge fan, like many of us are, of the Rogue Squadron books. And she just put out Rogue Base. It clicked. So come time to vote, Rogue Base, it gets the green light. It wins by a handy percentage of all of us who are voting on the base name. I'm like, okay, now we've got to create a logo. And we look at all these other you know bases out there and their logos, and we're like, oh, okay, it looks that, 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 that. And because it's Rogue Squadrons, we think, okay, let's do something with the next wing. And so for, it's a similar process where people who uh, can, are able to design things, put things together, and uh, then, of course, put them up on the message boards, and we vote on it. All right, I gotta, uh, I gotta look up this this logo. What's your guys's website again, so I can look up the the base logo? Best place to go is on Facebook. That's oh. where we do the majority of our work with the public. Mm-hmm. Rogue Base. Okay, I see it now. Oh yeah, that's cool. Quick cool story about uh, the logo. Mm-hmm. Um, like I said, you know, many of us submitted ideas, and I'm not a web designer. I really don't have the gift for graphic design. But ironically, one of the former commanding officers of Alpine Garrison. He is a graphic designer, and so I just approached him, like, would you mind helping us out with a couple of design ideas that I have? And he's like, yeah, sure. And so I gave him a few ideas, and the patch, logo, whatever you'll call it, that main design that you see for Rogue Base mm-hmm. was designed by a 501st member. <laughs> Can you explain it for those who are listening um, and haven't been able to stop and look it up? Uh, well, the idea was Rogue mm-hmm. Squadron is a group of elite X-Wing pilots in the Star Wars universe. Uh, Luke Skywalker for a t- time was part of it. Wedge Antilles was the leader of it. And this is before the takeover by Disney. So the Rogue Squadron uh, storyline is no longer what's considered canon, but uh-huh. it's still a great set of stories. Mm-hmm. So we're thinking, okay, Rogue Squadron, Rogue Base, got to have an X-Wing. And so I'm like, most all Rebel Legion patches have that Rebel Starbird. Yeah, yeah. Simple somewhere in it. Because well, it's, it's, it's a, lot of, a lot of the X-Wing helmets that you see on the characters. Mm-hmm. And so we go, okay, we, we've got that logo up to the side. We need an X-Wing, so we have an X-Wing flying off into the starry sky. And we just combine those two, and we got our base colors, you know, deep red, mm-hmm. the blue, and a little bit of white from the stars. And it just seemed iconic just from looking at it. Uh, we didn't do anything you know, with, you know, the state shape or anything like that. We just wanted that iconic symbol mm-hmm. of the Starbird and another iconic symbol of the X-Wing, and mm-hmm. it just seemed to work. Do you think of a backstory for the group as well? Is that part of That's your... That's the... Not necessarily the base. I mean, we have our own history as far as what we did in Utah, but as far as mm-hmm. the fictional backstory for the okay. whole base, in our case, we didn't do that. I can guarantee you, though, that each individual member <laughs> who has a costume, they know the backstory of their character. Oh, yeah. I, in my head, I have mine. Movies or, <laughs> yeah, I for the movies or something they created on their own, we all have our backstory. Yeah, me and my, my niece and nephew, we um, all the time will play, and like, there's like two versions that we'll do, and... One of them, you're, they're both my Padawan. And, yeah, we it's really fun. <laughs> so, uh, so there's not a, a true canon for, for our particular chapter, but there's there's definitely some headcanons going on there. That's awesome. So can you tell us a little bit about, like, how people join the group and, um, like, what type of commitment it is? 
it's an equal opportunity group. It does not matter, you know, race, color, creed, you know, if you're handicapped mm-hmm. or not, you know, it, it, anybody can join. Okay, doesn't does not matter. Okay, you can do any character that you want. The main requirements are you've got to be able to wear mm-hmm. a movie quality costume from the Star Wars universe. Mm-hmm. When I say movie quality, basically it looks like you just stepped off the screen. That authentic looking. With that being said, there are many different options. In the Rebel Legion alone, you've got every single outfit that Padme Amidala, Queen of the Wu wore, which is like 500. <laughs> All the outfits that Princess Leia wore, okay, if you like those. Then, of course, there's the standard Jedi options, mm-hmm. which are a lot. Uh, a lot of people like to do the Jedi because what you can do is you can kind of make your own. Yeah. They're the basic standards, and you just choose the color combinations, the patterns, et cetera, that seem to fit what you want. Mm-hmm. Uh, choose the color lightsaber, you know, my favorite screen. There's that option, double pilots. You know, there's just this long list of good guy hero costumes out mm-hmm. there. And you've got to take the time to either purchase and or make a costume that will fit you. Once you've got what you believe is the uh, costume that's up to the standards, and the standards are listed on the rebellegion.com message boards, all the standards are there, so there's no question about uh, will this work, will this not work. The standards are there. And so make sure your costume fits the standards, and you take pictures of yourself wearing that costume, you know, front, side, back, an action pose if you want, and then you'll submit them through the rebellegion.com main page. And the Revolution, like many of the other groups, has its own specific judges who will look over the pictures, compare them to the requirements, and if they wait, you're in. If not, they'll get back to you and say, okay, this is really close, but you may want to tweak this right here, or this right here is not exactly what we're looking for. We'd recommend changing there. Mm-hmm. And uh, you've got some time to, you know, we submit the pictures, and, you know, it's not like, you know, one strike, you're out. No, you can submit <laughs> as many times as you want until you get it right. Mm-hmm. Um, I personally have got three or four of my costumes that didn't meet the requirements the first try around, mm-hmm. so I had to resubmit later, which, you know, it's not a big deal. The costume judges are there to help you. They're the ones that say, okay, here's the standards, here's where you're at, and if you make it, you know, they'll be the first to congratulate you. If not, they'll be the first ones to tell you where to go, where to get the help that you need. And that's just for, you know, the, the initial approval process. Mm-hmm. Do not overlook the fact that you've got locally, no matter which space you might be in, but you got to look for the people who are locally available who have done this before. Mm-hmm. And so most of the time, we at Rebel Legion, here Rogue Base is no different, we're helping each other. Mm-hmm. For example, I'll show up in my Rebel pilot, my X-Men pilot, very, I love that costume. I will show up, and somebody will ask, where did you get that? And I will be happy to talk, talk the ear off and show them, well, you get this here, this here, this is how you make this, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> and before you know it, you know, they're hooked. And, you know, a couple months later, new Rebel pilot. So like that way for every single costume. Oh, that's so cool. Do you do, like, um, I know the Mercs and the 504s, they do, like, armor parties and stuff where they actually build together when possible? Do you guys do stuff like that pre-pandemic? We did, we've done some of similar things. Um, mm-hmm. We would call them uh, soft armor parties for the most <laughs> part because a lot of times we're dealing with just, you know, robes and fabrics. But mm-hmm. we do have some characters who wear hard armor. And many times we'll just do, you know, armor parties along with the other guys. Let's mm-hmm. say, for example, we've got um, in the Revolution clone troopers. Mm-hmm. Uh, they are counted as hero cautions for a lot of it. Mm-hmm. And I know several of our clone troopers who have also been proved as Bible first members, they've gotten together and they've done the, you know, the hard armor parties and whatnot. Anytime we get together, whether it's at an event or, or just hanging out, quote unquote, it's turning into a, an unofficial armor party because we can't help but talk about the costumes. Right, uh, right. Whether or not we're actually making anything <laughs> at the same time may not be a thing, but we're definitely talking about it, getting each other pointers and, you know, things like that. Me personally, I happen to be uh, married to a very talented seamstress, mm-hmm. but I love her very much. Uh-huh. Um, anyway, my wife is a very talented seamstress, and with her and me, 
a lot of times we'll put our heads together and even though it's just the two of us, we'll put it together, we'll live in the armor party and we'll work together to get something done. Um, she's helped other people as well. She's helped her brother and my brother-in-law with his Jedi outfit. She's helping a couple other people with their Jedi. He's one of my best friends. He's been approved with one, now it's going to be two Jedi. We've got one, another good friend of mine. We want to get him and his wife with their Jedi outfits approved. You know, she's the go-to seamstress for us to get those done. But, you know, that's just one of many uh, resources. Um, there have been other people who, you know, who can help with, uh, let's say you want to do the X-Wing pilot day. We've got several members who can help you with that. This is something I believe it's in the other organizations as well, but we have organizations within the base itself. Uh-huh. Um, for example, uh, all of us who are approved X-Wing pilots or pilots in general from the Star Wars universe, we have our own squadron. And in this case, uh, <laughs> similar to the, uh, the base procedure, you vote on a leader, you vote on a logo and a name and whatnot. And for the pilots, we are locally for the Utah Rogue Base chapter, the Firewind Squadron. And is we that have like, our own little leadership and whatnot. Is that approved and stuff too through the, hier- the hierarchy or is that just kind of a headcanon? It's similar to Rogue Base. It's uh-huh. not necessarily canon. Mm-hmm. It's something we came up with on our own and it's recognized in the Revolution uh, ranks. That's so, so fun. So for the pilots, you want to do a pilot outfit. You know, we've got several pilots who can help you in with the Firewind Squadron. And there you go. With uh, Jedi, you have your own temple. Oh, cool. It's the sub-organization. And so we have a temple master and, you know, people to help you out. Plenty of Jedi to give you pointers and whatnot. Uh, the local temple is the Island Temple. Like Island as I-S-L-A-N-D? Island, I-L-U-M. You can find these on the Rogue Base section of the uh, message boards on Rebel Legion website. Anyway, these sub-organizations, we've got our leadership in each one of these sub-organizations. Let's say we have a new person coming in. Let's say you, for example, wanted, mm-hmm. let's say you wanted to do a, a one of the Leia costumes. No. Well, you got to go to I'm a the, Jedi. You know, the All right. Are you going to take the pin? Swillick Jedi. Oh, Francis, for you. Okay. <laughs> you want to do a Jedi costume, you can approach uh, the members of the local chapter mm-hmm. and the Temple Master and the Rogue Base will be able to get you on your way to getting that approved. That's Getting cool. that costume made and stuff like that. They, uh, we're, All of us are just fountains of information whenever you start to pick our brain. Mm-hmm. Um which is, if you ever stop by our booth at Fanex, mm-hmm. if you see anybody talking, odds are they're talking about how to do the costume, <laughs> or how to do a new costume. That's so fun because there's such a wide imaginative universe to, to play in and everything. And, like, so if I started this weekend planning a costume, is the time process quick enough that I would be able to be approved by Fanex, which is September? Most definitely. Really? Uh, again, it's all, yeah, again, it all depends on your level of dedication. I'll be honest, <laughs> this is not a cheap hobby for some of us. Mm-hmm. It is not. If I were smart, I would have invested in stocks or, or bonds or whatever. No, I invest <laughs> in costumes. Uh-huh. Um, and I've got several, okay? And it's it becomes a passion project, you know. It's But as far as the, the, the time bond that you're talking about, do your research first, okay? Uh-huh. And if you're like me, you might do a lot of research. <laughs> or maybe you've already thought about this and you know exactly what you want to look like. Oh, I do. Okay? <laughs> and I've thought about okay, it a lot so. over the past 24 hours. So if you know what you want to look like, okay, make sure you're looking at the standards, which mm-hmm. I mentioned earlier are, are posted all over the Revolution boards. Find your costume standards, in your case, Jedi. Find those and start going through the pieces, okay? Option one, tunic, okay? What colors do I want? What's the shape going to be, et cetera? Lightsaber, that's one of the first things most people get. What lightsaber color do I want and what type, what lightsaber providers are there out there that have the design that I would want for my particular character? Backstory is optional. Mm-hmm. You're going to do it anyway. But backstory is not uh, required to be able to get approved. But you work through that. You go through that list. Make sure you've got all the items and that they match the standards. 
And of course, as you are playing these items, make sure, of course, they fit. Uh, try them on, you know, maybe you could do, you know, a tweak here or a tweak there. But the process from start to finish, if you are dedicated enough and you got the talents around you, either you know how to sew or you, you find you know the right people who can uh, create what you're imagining, mm-hmm. start to finish, a lot of times it just takes the time that is necessary to buy the materials, sew the materials together, acquire the other, you know, odds and ends, such as belt and boots, et cetera, and then get those pictures taken, submit them on the boards. That sounds And so much fun. they're usually pretty good. Uh, within a couple of weeks, most of the time after you've submitted your approval pictures uh, through the boards, within a couple of weeks you've heard back from the costume judge, and if you're, let's say you got it on the first try, you're in. So I would say for a Jedi costume, I could, I could bet you you could be approved in two months. Really? That's even sooner than I thought. I might yeah, have a new you know, summer project. If you know exactly what you're looking at mm-hmm. and you get the right people around you, you can get this costume approved that quickly. That's really fun. Of course, there's got to dedicate the time and the energy into it. Okay, it's not. I, I hate to say it, but I have seen many people fall by the wayside because they weren't thinking of the big picture. When I say that, they knew what the end product what they wanted, but they did not think about all the work that had to go into the process. Oh, so, I, <laughs> you haven't seen my <laughs> Halloween costumes. I I go pretty full out, <laughs> which yeah. is fun because hearing you tell people celebrate. What they love so much, and there are so many clubs and and events and things like that, so that you have the support. You can, within a few months, become a Twi'lek Jedi. Like it's it sounds like so much fun. It is okay, and if you want, if you know the Twi'lek, mm-hmm. we know the people. Right? There's actually a they're not necessarily part of Rogue Base, but there is a group of Twi'lek cosplayers, and you. I talked is. to them. They told me where to get my my uh, Lukus or however you pronounce that. <laughs> I think it's pronounced Leku. Leku, okay. You know. I, that's, I, that's what I've always called them, and nobody's mm-hmm. corrected me yet. So. That, that's one thing I have noticed is, so, yeah, you watch a lot of the films, but a lot of the, like, historical background stuff as you search on, on Wiki and whatnot, it's written. So, like, I'm not quite sure how to pronounce different things. So, But it's fun to learn anyway, and, and people are accepting yeah, yeah. and willing to teach you, and it's a lot of fun. But the pronunciation thing, if it's Han Solo, is it Han Solo? We know what you're talking about. <laughs> Which is so great. Well, and you guys, you not only do you help each other to build these different things, you are actually doing such good work out there. Talking to the Mercs and the, the 501st, you guys are out there continually doing charity work, and that's primarily the type of events that you're you're out at, correct? Yes. And to be quite honest, if it wasn't for the charity event, I'm not sure if I'd still be doing this. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's fun to, that we got a lot of movies and TV shows and Star Wars and whatnot to be able to go to the movies and whatnot in the costume. That's that's great. Mm-hmm. But if that's all we were doing this for, it would kind of seem, in my opinion, like a huge waste of time. <laughs> if that, if you're only making a costume for Fan X, and that's it. Mm-hmm. Or you're making it for a movie premiere, and that's it. Luckily, we've got the setup where Disney and Lucasfilm have given us the green light to do these charity events. Because we're helping each other out. Mm-hmm. We're using Star Wars to bring joy to other people. And in a lot of cases, these charity organizations really need the help. And we're happy to do it. I bet you have some some interesting stories, um, you know, touching stories from from doing these type of charity events. Do you have any that you uh, you like be. to share? Oh gosh, oh, can I narrow it down to just one? Um, um, you can do a couple if you don't mind staying on longer. We'll just do a long segment. Okay, I will. I will <laughs> tell you one of my personal favorites, and then if that segues into something else, mm-hmm. you know, so be it. Um, but uh, make a wish is one of our favorite organizations. We've raised a lot of money for them over the years. We've granted a lot of wishes that involve Star Wars. Aww. So in this particular case, I will forgo from saying his name. Mm-hmm. Okay. I, I will call him, we'll call him Annie. Okay. Okay. 
Annie Sobranigan. Mm-hmm. Not his real name, but that's the alias we use for Annie's uh, particular story. Mm-hmm. So we get the call from the local Make-A-Wish chapter that Annie is doing a Star Wars-based Make-A-Wish thing. Now, in Annie's particular case, he's got a degenerative disease that affects his ability to walk. And he's only, if I remember correctly, he was only in the second grade at the time. Now, I'm not sure if you remember much about second grade, but you do not want to be the kid in a wheelchair. No. Or, or in a motorized scooter or whatever mm-hmm. it is. You want to be, be able to you know, go out and you know, run around with other, other kids and whatnot. It's just you know, the type of thing you do at that age, mm-hmm. or at least it's expected. And because Annie's condition, he had to go around in a motorized wheelchair. And he was pretty self-conscious about that. And so one of the things that Make-A-Wish wanted to do was help him, you know, gain some self-confidence. And so they said, we'll put together some Jedi trials, mm-hmm. similar to what you see or read about in the books and whatnot in the movies. You go through the trials and you'll become a Jedi Knight. Uh-huh. And so they decided to work with us, and I gave them a few ideas, what particular trials they could do to, you know, progress and show that you're ready to become a Jedi. But unbeknownst to Annie, they Make-A-Wish decided to have a special assembly at his school to grant his wish. Uh-huh. And the wish was uh, to become a Jedi Knight and be able to go to Disney World with his family. Mm-hmm. We decided to not just do a regular presentation where, surprise, here's your wish. Mm-hmm. We decided to make a full-blown skit out of it. Um, so members of the Rebel Legion, and along with the uh, Alpine Garrison at the time, we put our heads together, we put together a skit, and to make it work well with the elementary school, we decided it would be a skit about... Uh, rewarding good behavior. Mm-hmm. And so in this case, uh, the story, the quick basically the story was Princess Leia had a, something stolen from her by Darth Vader. Mm-hmm. And a bunch of Jedi were there trying to help find what was stolen. And long story short, Vader comes out. He feels really bad about stealing from <laughs> Princess Leia. So the thing that Darth Vader had stolen mm-hmm. was one of the medals that Leia had awarded both Luke and Han oh. after the Battle of Yavin. Uh-huh. A very special medal. And we actually had some uh, prop makers amongst the group who actually made one of those. Oh, wow. So Darth Vader had stolen that. He returns it. Leia then takes that medal with the Jedi, and we call up Annie and present him with his medal. And right then and there, I got to do this part. I knighted him as a Jedi. I loved it. In front of the entire school. (laughs) That's not the end of the story. So Annie was, of course, thrilled. You know, he's got, you know, his make-a-wish. He's got some goodies and whatnot. And we decided, like I said, to make it more legit. And his first mission was to go to Disney World mm-hmm. and to have a good time and to make sure his family also had a good time. And what Make-A-Wish does is they will do a follow-up where they have their star raising ceremony, where they show how the wish turned out. And mm-hmm. then they have this huge collection of stars for each one of their Make-A-Wish kids. And they get to have their own star. They get to hang right yeah. there in the front hall. Mm-hmm. So, Annie did not know this was going to happen, mm-hmm. but I <laughs> coordinated with the uh, Make-A-Wish coordinators to find out when his star-raising ceremony was going to be, and I made a surprise visit. <laughs> I'm, like, tearing I'm the up Jedi right that now. Gave <laughs> I was a Jedi master who gave him his mission. I'm the one that knighted him. I was going to make sure I was going to follow through. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, while they're showing the video highlights of his to Disney World with his family, I sneak in. I'm just standing in the background, and he doesn't know I'm there. Lights come up. Make-A-Wish presenters call on Jedi Master, come up and forward, and I take the stand, and I ask Annie to report on his mission. 
And he got up and walked to me. Oh, wow. That's and beautiful. And he, he was not, not going to give his report stand, sitting down. He was going to stand up and talk to me about it. I didn't recognize who it was because I've never seen him stand before <laughs> or walk. And uh, we got to see each other several times afterwards, but I will never forget that moment because from the sheer joy or, or the sheer passion of Star Wars, mm-hmm. we made a kid's life better just oh. that one day. And we get to do it as many times as we are invited to do so. Oh, that's that's wonderful. That's just beautiful. And you know, one of my um, honorary nephews, he, he also got a make-a-wish. So as I'm hearing you tell the story, I'm envisioning the, the same places in process and the star um, hanging down from this, the ceiling at the local make-a-wish. That's, that's just beautiful and wonderful. And I can't think of it. anything better to do with the love of your fandom than, than using that to help others and to reach others that is that is beautiful that's amazing <laughs> i just i can't get over that last conversation let me just uh, put this out there okay okay we're going through a tough time not just in this country but around the world we recognize that okay mm-hmm. it's tough on everybody all right and what i have seen amongst the uh, groups even though we can't be there physically uh, going to events with the public and charity, there is nothing stopping us from making a difference. Mm-hmm. And we have still found a way to make a difference during the pandemic, um, whether it's, you know, a, a Zoom meeting or, you know, making a compilation video or something like that. We are still finding ways to make a difference. And that's the type of people we really, really want to take an interest in what we do. I mean, hopefully everybody's got a passion to make a difference. Mm-hmm. And so we take, you know, the passion of, you know, Star Wars, the passion of helping out the community with charity work, put those together. If you can do that, the possibilities are endless. Uh, Quick example, uh, in addition to May the 4th, you know, one of the big events that we like to do is Star Wars Reading Day, usually held around September, October, that time of the year. Um, And it's, of course, getting people out there who love to read. And almost every single member of these organizations has read the books or read some of them whether it's a comic book or a novel or, or you know, a behind-the-scenes picture book showing how they made all the props and whatnot. We, we, we love to read about this stuff. And so we use that to get people encouraged to read. I am one of those people who is not content just to invite people to read. I like to take things a step further. And this is the type of people we really want to have come out because if you're thinking outside the box, you're probably going to do well. One of the things that I did, this is with one of my friends who is also a member of the Rogue Base. He and I are both professionally trained <laughs> classical actors. In other words, we both love to perform Shakespeare. Mm-hmm. Now, before you say, well, Shakespeare has nothing to do with Star Wars, hold on. <laughs> there totally are does. several books out there written by a fabulous writer, mm-hmm. Ian Desher, and what he's done is he's taken all the movies and he's transcribed them into Shakespearean plays. So, mm-hmm. you know, for example, instead of A New Hope, it's barely A New Hope. Mm-hmm. And he's, you know, written all the main plots of the movies out in Shakespearean language, the Elizabethan language that they used back then. Me and my friend, so we got three passions. We love costume making. We love Star Wars. We love Shakespeare. We put them all together, and for the Star Wars Day, we put together some uh, videos of us performing from Ian Desher's books, some of the scenes. So you got your Star Wars characters reading out Shakespearean dialogue. You can't go wrong. I love it. I love that's, it. That's the type of, if, just let your creative mind go, and you will find so much that you can do with this. 
I love that you're using those those talents in that way, and you're asking for people who who are willing to do that. And you know, we're we're in Utah. We have a very compassionate, um, willing to volunteer community here real quick um, as we close this segment can you do a quick run through again of you know where people can find information on rogue base and the rebel legion and kind of the process of joining step one find the rebel legion website rebellegion.com everything that you need to join will be there okay sign up on the forums you have to be 18 or older okay if you're not 18 there you can have you know your parent or guardian help you know get you involved but to be officially a member you do need to be 18 years older mm-hmm. get a Profile on the forums, and then you have access to all the, we call them CRLs, but it's basically the standards. Find the standard that you want. Once you know the standard you want, there are several other mini-threads all over the forums if you want help. Uh, if you, you know, let's say you want to make a Jedi, there's a section of the Jedi forums where you can post pictures of your work in progress, see what other people have done. Some people are actual uh, costume makers, okay? And you don't have to stick just to revolution.com. You need to go through, of course, through the approval process, but you can look everywhere mm-hmm. to do your research, okay? But get on the revolution.com boards, get your user profile, get the costume or start thinking about the costume you want to work, work on, start looking at your resources. Go out there and make or buy the things that you need. And once you're ready, there will be a section on the revolution.com boards when you're ready to post your approval pictures. Mm-hmm. Make sure you take uh, several Get all the details, submit those, and then the costume judges will take it from there. That's it. That's so fun. Okay? Uh, oh. If you want, if, the most fun part is the research and creation process. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guarantee it. I mean, wearing it is great. You know, wearing it in public, you know, is just the icing on the cake. But there's so much fun in the actual research and creation process, especially when you get to bounce off ideas with other people. That sounds like so much fun. I love it. I love it. Thank you so much for joining us today, Jacob. This has been a real fun conversation, and I have one more segment left for our listeners, and it's going to be right after this break. And we are actually going a bit of a different direction. We've talked a lot about costuming. The next, we're going to be talking to the Rocky Mountain droid builders who actually build the astromechs we love on scene. Uh, Hold on. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Fan Effect, Utah's fan culture podcast. I'm your host and producer, Kellyanne Halverson, and excited to continue talking about a favorite subject here at Fan Effect, Star Wars. With Star Wars Day right around the corner and the coronavirus pandemic finally starting to wane, fans are ready to get back to exploring the worlds they love with the people outside of their household. Today, we're talking to local fans and fans clubs that can help you get back to action from costuming, saber fighting, and even what our next guest loves to do, droid building. Droid builder Phil Barreither of the Rocky Mountain Droid Builders joins us now to talk about crafting and controlling the droid you are looking for. For years, the local nonprofit group under the International R2-D2 Builders Club community have been helping Utahns create their own movie-realistic droids out of a variety of materials, then going out into the community to spread the love of Star Wars while helping various charities and organizations. Welcome, Phil. Thank you for joining us on our show today. No, thanks for having me. So first, can you tell us a little bit about what a droid is in the Star Wars universe and what it means to be a droid builder out here in the real world? 
Uh, a, a droid is, when we talk about droids anyway, uh, we're talking more about the astromechs like R2-D2 mm-hmm. or BB-8. Uh, we're also talking mouse droids, uh, so the little black droid that you'll see running around on the Death Star mm-hmm. or on a Star Destroyer. We do some static props as well, like battle droids or even K2. But our main focus is mainly on astromechs and like the BB-8-style uh, droids, the ones that we can actually throw controls into and be able to drive them around and do a lot of different things with them. So kind of the, the robot puppeteers, um, but not the humanoid ones. Like you're, you wouldn't be building yeah. a C-3PO or anything like that. We would not. C-3PO is an actual costume in the movie, so mm-hmm. that falls more underneath the Rebel Legion side. So tell me about your club, about the Rocky Mountain Builders. The Rocky Mountain Droid Builders, basically, again, we do build Star Wars droids of any of the uh, – series, even the animated series. So you mm-hmm. may see a chopper or an astromech. We work in conjunction chopper. with, he's a great droid mm-hmm. and kids love little, chopper too. He's a little so, sassy. He's a, he's, <laughs> yeah, he's, he's sassy, he's a little smaller, so he kind of gets down right on the kids level. Mm-hmm. So kids really do like uh, chopper as well. Well, and like um, his little so, arms and stuff, they, they probably make it a little bit more um, emotive. <laughs> some of the others yeah and they do and i'm actually in the process of building one right now as mm-hmm. well where if it goes well i'll have the arms coming out of his dome the front arm opening and stuff on the front of his body and everything so it, it's in the process so as long as everything goes well hopefully maybe in like six months or so six months to a year he'll mm-hmm. be ready to go oh that's so cool we do work in conjunction with 501st and rebel legion and do a lot of charity events or go to cons and try to raise money for different charities. So we are a nonprofit builders club. And it runs a little bit different than like the the 501st, which are they're like the the bad guys, the stormtroopers or the um, rebels were like the good guys. You guys run a little bit different, right? Are you sanctioned under the, the Lucasfilm or Disney, whatever umbrella? We are. We are we're sanctioned just like the 501st and Rebel Legion under LFL and Disney. Um, we're a little different. We don't have a hierarchy of leadership. Uh, we're more of just come kind of join us um, and do whatever you want to do. So when it comes to droid building, you join our group to learn how to build a droid. Uh, and then you're kind of on your own or with the club to get involved with the 501st and the Rebel Legion to join them in their events. So where the 501st and Rebel Legion, you build a costume and then you join them and you get like a TK number or some sort of ID. We don't necessarily have that. Uh, We're like, come to our club, (laughs) sign up on our forums, learn how to build a droid, get involved with your local people and go have fun. Uh, You can build any type of droid you want. You can do whatever color scheme you want. It doesn't have to be seen in the movies Mm -hmm. where the 501st and Rebel Legion or Mandalorian merch or at least 501st and Rebel Legion, you have to see it in the movie to be kind of part of it unless you're a generic Jedi. Our droids are, if you want a pink droid, you can have a pink droid. Um, Any color scheme you kind of want, you can do. So you can customize your droid to fit what you like or what you're looking for. That's so neat. So you can do like your own original character droid, so to speak. You can. Um, You know, some people will base them off of obscure droids. Uh, My astromech is Obi-Wan's droid from episode two and three. Mm Mm-hmm. So he does have a moniker, the R4P17, but because our specs are the same throughout our club, 
I can actually change his dome and make him a completely different droid. So I can have one droid body and like six different domes and I have six different droids basically. So you can make them interchangeable and you can change the facade on it, so to speak. Yeah, because our our club goes off of the specs from Lucas. Mm -hmm. They've actually had people go in and measure the original R2 um, and put all our plans online. So you can print your plans, take them down like a FedEx Kinko's or whatever, (laughs) and print plans. And you can build your own droid out of whatever Mm -hmm. and then customize them. And then if you have like a 3D printer, you can print more domes. But because we're universal, one part fits, and then you can just interchange that part because all our plans are the same. So an astromech has a certain diameter across the top of the body before you hit the dome. And so all other domes have that same diameter at the bottom. So you can just switch out the dome. That's so cool. When we talked in our pre-interview a bit, you were telling me that like people have even made it out of wood and things like that, correct? Yeah, if you're good at working with wood, because again, our plans are online and it gives you dimensions mm-hmm. and everything. You can go out, buy wood that of course won't expand or mm-hmm. if it gets wet, doesn't rot or anything. And um, you can basically start cutting out of wood. We have a local builder that probably 95% of his droid is made out of wood. There's people that sell wood parts so you can make it out of wood. I have some wood in my droid. Most of my droid is either plastic or aluminum, but I have some wood, some resin. So my droid is like a hodgepodge of different materials. So that's what makes it nice too, is you don't have to stick to a single material. Mm -hmm. If you're better at working with like a styrene or ABS, you can work with that. Or if you're good with wood, do it with wood and you cut your cost dramatically if you can do a lot of it yourself. That's what looks really cool about your club is it's it's not just a club where people get together. It seems like a resource and a community to really help you to, to build and create these unique droids <laughs> and creations. Can you tell me a little bit about how people join the club, where they find these plans? So if you're looking to build an astromech, if you just look up astromech.net, uh, that's our main forum to build astromechs. If you're looking to build like BB-8, uh, just look up BB-8 Builders Club on Google, and you're probably one of the first hits. If you're looking to build mouse droids, all you got to do is look up mouse MSE Builders, and you'll find their forums. And whatever you're looking to build, you can find a forum for it. You can log into the forum, get signed up, uh, and then start reading. There's tons of Facebook pages out there as well. There's the R2 Builders on Facebook, our clubs on Facebook as well. But the main plans would be on one of our forums like uh, astromech.net. And it looks like there's even some places where you can purchase some of the kits or at least parts of it is what it sounded like. from. Yeah, yeah. due to our agreement with Lucas, mm-hmm. uh, we can't sell full droids because we're then violating copyright mm-hmm. infringement. Uh, so what they allow us to do is people will build parts. Like, let's say you want an aluminum body. Well, you can go to the astromech.net, see if somebody's doing a run of aluminum bodies or aluminum parts. And you can just buy parts. And if you're good enough to make your parts look like an astromech when you're done, then you've done your job right. That's awesome. Uh, That way we're not infringing on anybody. And Disney is like, okay, you're good. Uh, (laughs) Because the whole point is celebrating. You're not trying to take away. You're trying to add to and bring more people to it. Exactly. And Mm -hmm. that's why Disney has really been nice to us and other groups to allow us to use their characters Mm -hmm. and go off and make other people happy and do things for charity and help raise money. Well, and also this, a lot of these clubs I'm finding out, um, even though they're very specific niches in the Star Wars universe, they have been around since before Disney purchased Star Wars. Um, And so that's that's great. It's continued on. 
Yes, the 501st has been around, I believe, one of the longest clubs, if not the longest costuming group club. And that was when Lucas owned it. And Lucas mm-hmm. was really good. I mean, we did, the 501st did a parade with the Rose Bowl when, uh, <laughs> or when Lucas was, or the Pasadena Rose Parade when Lucas was the Grand Marshal. So you can go back and you can watch, you know, hundreds of stormtroopers walking down the parade route. That's so cool. Well, and didn't some of the 501st, they actually got pulled into the Mandalorian filming because they needed more stormtroopers? Like the local they one? Did. Yeah. We're tight with some of the people like Dave Filoni. Like Dave Filoni's like, oh, I need stormtroopers. Where do I go? <laughs> well, I know a group. There you go. And so the droid builders are the same way. Uh-huh. For the prequels, the uh, droid builder was one of their first hires. Catherine uh, Kennedy was over in Germany during a, a Star Wars celebration, and she went into the droid room and was just amazed by what these droid builders could do. <laughs> and she hired a droid builder on the site, basically, to like, hey, we want your R2 in the movie. Oh, that is um, so cool. Yeah, we have a local guy that produces parts for Disney for some of their droids that mm-hmm. are around the parks and on their cruise ship. He has an amazing droid. His uh-huh. droid is fully aluminum. All the panels open up. He has multiple arms that come out of the side panels because of the mechanism he created. Mm-hmm. He even has the little, it's not quite in a fire extinguisher, but when R2 kind of blows off the smoke and fire extinguisher, he has <laughs> that in there. He has the little taser in his droid. So he's his droid is amazing, and uh, he's done a lot of Make-A-Wish events and stuff like that. That's so cool. Well, that that all sounds very technical, but you can also build some pretty basic droids as well, right? You don't have to be a big scientific engineer in order to, to get these to work. Uh, you do not. I have no engineering background. Uh, when I started building mine, I had no uh, electrical work background. Mm-hmm. But because we have such great resources, both locally and internationally, you can go on the forums and you can look up, well, how do I do my wiring? Mm-hmm. Or I just want to do something basic. What do I need to do something basic? And there's going to be a diagram or somebody who's done and be like, if this is all you want to do, this is how we can wire it up. You're good to go. Well, and you guys have like building nights and stuff too. Well, pre-pandemic where you actually get together and you build, correct? Yeah, we'll get together. We'll share ideas. We'll bring in our work that's in progress and we'll see what uh, we can do to help each other out. Or mm-hmm. if it kind of has a bug in it, we can try to help them out to figure out what's going on, what's going wrong. Talk even, you know, like what's the newest that's going on in the droid community as far as electronics or are they moving to lipo batteries off of like the big SLA solid lead acid batteries? So as technology advances, we're also advancing on what we're doing. Mm -hmm. Well, just thinking how much the world opens up just with 3D printing. And that's a, a newer technology that people have access to. I bet it's really, A, made it more affordable and B, more accessible. It has, and it's also allowed us to do droids like BB-8. So mm-hmm. most BB-8s that you'll see that a builder has, you, that droid is 3D printed just because of the lightweight material that 3D printing allows for. Um, we do have a fully 3D printed R2 in the valley. Um, the chopper I'm building is going to be fully 3D printed. We're talking all the way down to the wheels uh, because 3D printers can do more than just plastic. They can do a flexible plastic. My front wheel on chopper is actually a 3D printed flexible plastic. So I didn't have to go out and try to find a caster that looked like choppers. I could just 3D print it. <laughs> that is so cool. So you have a chopper you've built. You have an R2-D2. Um, what other builds have you done? Uh, I have a couple mouse droids. Mm-hmm. 
I am working still on my BB units. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I have a couple static droids. I have a couple battle droids from the Star Wars series, and I'm 3D printing a K2 right now as well. Which one is the K2? Is that the Roger Roger? Uh, no, that's the battle droid. That's the battle Roger, droid? Roger's the battle droid. Okay. Uh, K2 is from Rogue One. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, he yeah. He was a big, tall droid. Oh, yeah. He was, I liked that. I feel like a bad Star Wars fan. I'm, I'm a newer Star Wars fan, so no one get mad at me listening to this. Andy is the huge one. I'm the novice. <laughs> but, um, yeah, that's that's awesome. Do you have, like, a dream one in your head that one day you're like, I'm going to make this droid in this style, and it's going to be amazing? Not necessarily a dream one. I think it's more of getting more function into my droids. Like, mm-hmm. my astromech is kind of basic. His head turns, he makes noise, and he's drivable. Once I get my chopper uh, all 3D printed, that one's going to be more elaborate. I'm hoping, like I said, to get the arms to come out of the dome, his head to actually not only turn, but in chopper, his head wobbles a little bit mm-hmm. when he's kind of just being sassy. So hopefully they have a little head wobble in there. There's a lot of more, I guess, technology going into it than just a basic droid. That's that's kind of my goal is like I want something that has a lot of interaction features to it. That's really cool. When I've seen a lot of this as as I've been to, to Fanex and different events and seeing you guys around and everything. And I'm always amazed at like how BB-8 can just roll and – um, I kind of look around and say, okay, who has a remote control? Who's the one controlling <laughs> this droid? Just because it's kind of fun. But I bet you have some some real good stories from these events of, of like how this has impacted people's lives. Uh, do you want to share one of those with us at this time? Uh, yeah, I mean, just our Make-A-Wish events, you know, mm-hmm. the, the events that we do for charity and the kids, the way they, uh, even at cons, because we are there raising money for charity, the way the kids interact with the droids and as long as your droid is moving around, I mean, the kids just love them. Uh, <laughs> you know, they they just want to go up there and talk. And if you're really good, you can have your droid answer back with the sounds that he makes. I, I think that's one of the funnest things, just to see the interaction that goes on. And some of the droid builders are really good that you will not find out who's actually controlling the droid. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, there's lots of different ways to control your droid. You'll see flight sticks that you can use to control RC airplanes. But so Nintendo had the Wii nunchucks. Mm-hmm. So they're just kind of these small things that fit in the palm of your hand that has just a stick on it. And they, our droid builders found a way to pair that with their RC uh, controls, basically. So they can be walking around with these controllers in their pocket or behind their back. And the droid just looks like he's moving on his own. I love it. Uh, That's so, so, cool. so it is amazing. Like the, the builders that are out there. Uh, with what they do and the way they interact with the fans and, you know, even the little kids. That, that's kind of what it gets down to. So how often do you guys actually go for events, like pre-pandemic? Really, it depended on what events were coming in. Um, whenever the 501st or the Rebel Legion or the Mandalorian Marks get an event request, um, because we share all our events locally here in the Valley, unless mm-hmm. they specifically just want bad guys or good guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, we try to attend every event that the 501st or Rebel Legion goes to. Mm-hmm. Uh, pre-pandemic on May 4th, I know we would have probably like eight to ten events that we would try to hit. That's so cool. Uh, you know, and, so, and some of our people would be able to do it. They'd plan their day out where they'd hit five events in one day, which is, you know, just getting in and out of costume or getting your droid in and out of your vehicle for like five different events throughout the day. I mean, that's, that's tough, but you know, 
any worthy event that's you know they let us do, and that includes Disney and LFL kind of letting us do it mm-hmm. and their regulations. We we try to get out there with them to bring our droids out because not just fun for the crowd, it's also fun for us just to go out there and kind of show off our droid and just interact with people. I'm a huge nerd, and a, a big reason because of that is I believe in good storytelling. I believe that good storytelling is what changes the world. It's not politics. It's not drama. It's it's not even money. It's good storytelling and, and opens a window of empathy for people to change their minds. So it's really awesome to see you guys out there just like sharing Star Wars with the world and so open about it. So it's probably been growing in popularity over the past few years. People are a little bit more open about their fandoms. Have you seen that grow? Uh, I have. I mean, I've seen just the droid community locally grow. When I came down here about eight years ago, there are probably three, maybe four droid builders locally. Mm-hmm. Uh, but now we we probably have completed droids. We probably have like seven or eight completed droids, uh, which for the investment and the time that it creates, uh, creates something like these, that, that's a pretty good number. And the droid builders community is usually the smallest group uh, mm-hmm. in any area just because of the stuff. But, yeah, we've we've seen it grow. I mean, I've done so much more uh, in the recent years getting into 3D printing, being able to print more and do stuff on my own, too, without having to necessarily put more money into it. And I, I like that you guys – work together you and the others uh costume groups and and builders groups that you, you work together and that's something really unique here in utah we all kind of come together and support each other particularly when it comes to our unique fan culture what is your favorite thing about operating in utah well i i think it is the camaraderie that we have with the other groups there's some areas where they don't work as well together and being able to share an event space like at Fanex where you can kind of see everybody and you mm-hmm. just grow those friendships uh, within the different groups. Um, I mean, I, I actually have a costume approved in all the other groups. So not only am I a droid builder, I'm a member of the 501st, I'm a member of Rebel Legion, I'm a member of the Mandalorian Mercs. Mm-hmm. You know, and I probably wouldn't have gotten into the Mercs that much uh, without being around the other Mercs just because they could help me with my costume. So if people have been listening to this segment and they've learned more about your group, uh, before we kind of clo- close up, can you give a rundown for our listeners who are interested in learning more or even building their own droids? Where can they learn about the Rocky Mountain Droid Builders and also droid oh, building in general? Yeah, so we do have a Facebook site. Uh, if you just search for Rocky Mountain Droid Builders, it'll come up. We, I think we also have a Instagram site, too, that we occasionally post to. Uh, we're, we're very bad with social media as droid builders, <laughs> I'm going to be honest. <laughs> uh, but we do, have a, we do have a Facebook site that's there for the public. And then once you kind of get to know us and kind of get more into the group, then we actually do have a private Facebook site. If you're just looking to build a specific droid, look up that style of droid. So if you're looking for a BB-8, go to Google, just search BB-8 Builders Club. If you're looking for an R2 style droid, just go to astromech.net. Join the forums, start looking around, start reading, start asking questions, uh, and there will be someone there to help you for sure. Fantastic. I look forward to it, and I look forward to seeing you later. And maybe in a bit I might need to come in and build an astromech for myself. Hey, you don't even have to start that big. We can start you something with a mouse droid. You oh, can good. run around with a mouse droid. What's the stompy one? Um, <laughs> they're little and they're rectangular, the, but they the, stomp. The gonk droid? I will, that's it. I will build a gonk droid. 
<laughs> those are easy. Those are actually totes. You go to Lowe's and you buy a couple of totes and then you put some breathers on it and you have Dude, a, a bouncer. I, I can do that. That's that's enough technical for me. Thank you yeah, so no much problem. for joining me today, Phil. Oh, uh, you have a good one. All right, everybody. That is our Star Wars Day Special 2021. Thank you so much for listening today. And I want to thank everybody from the Mandalorian Mercs, from the 501st, the Rebel Legion, and, of course, the Rocky Mountain Droid Builders for joining us today and exploring some of these ways we can get interactive with our favorite universe, the Star Wars saga. Thanks for listening to this episode of Fan Effect, a KSL News Radio podcast. Beyond sci fi, fantasy, gaming, and tech, we are excited to share with you our knowledge and arguments on everything pop culture and fandom. Based in the beautiful Beehive State, Fan Effect celebrates Utah's unique fan culture, and we are excited to bring you local guests that feel the same way. I am your host and producer, Kellyanne Halverson. Listen regularly on your favorite platform at kslnewsradio.com or on the KSL News Radio app. Do you have a fun idea or a local fan culture topic you would like us to explore? Let us know by messaging our Facebook page at Fan Effect Show where you can also get the latest nerdly updates and join the conversation. Follow us on Instagram at Fan Effect Show and Twitter at Fan Effect Show. Remember, that's Effect with an E. Thanks again for listening, and we hope to have you back real soon for another episode of Fan Effect. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear-gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen.